Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? I'm pretty good. I've got a really bad throat. I've been saving it all day so I could yell at y'all. That was my plan. Let the 11, 11, 11 o'clock's going to get all of it. Uh, but no, I'm going to try to be brief and try to be a little lower uh, in volume. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24. And I want you to take out a piece of paper and a pencil or something to write with. I mean it. Like grab a piece of paper and a pencil. If you don't have anything, find a lady with a big purse. And she's got everything. And she can help you. I want us to talk about New, New Year's resolutions. Seriously. Um, I will be starting a new sermon series next week entitled Money Talks. You just heard about that. Um, I haven't done a series on your financial life in some time, so I think it's, it's, it's due. Uh, it's just a matter of discipleship, so it's not like it's something that we can not talk about. According to Jesus' own words, um, money's not just money. It's a spiritual force. Your financial life, your spending life, uh, is a window into your spiritual life. I, I can look at your money and the way you handle money. I'm not going to, but I could, and probably learn most of everything there is to know about your life with the Lord. You cannot say that Jesus is Lord and master of your life if he is not the Lord and master of your earning and your spending and your saving and your giving. He has to be the Lord of your credit card and your Amazon account. I mean, all of these things belong to him. It's called stewardship. That's the biblical word. Stewardship is my responsibility to manage what God has entrusted to me, but it still belongs to him. I'm managing what belongs to another. And our finances obviously always belong to God. He provides uh, everything that we need for everything he wants us to have. That's why it's a bad sign that you're in debt up to your eyeballs. Most people are. I know that's normal, but it's not anything at all that brings glory to God. As a believer, you don't want to be up to your eyeballs in debt. So uh, if we're starting with New Year's resolutions, why don't some of you, number one is get out of debt. Uh, do it. Finally, you don't have to finish out 2024 the way you're finishing out 2023. You can get out of debt. You really, really can. And I want you to consider Financial Peace University to, as a tool to do that. Every single year, we have church members, families that go through Financial Peace University, and in a number of weeks together, they will pay down thousands and thousands of dollars in household debt, and you can be a part of that. So, I'm serious. Consider that as a New Year's resolution. It's stewardship, as I said. Today's sermon is not a money sermon, but it is a stewardship sermon. I want us to talk about your management, your stewardship of the most important gift God has given you, and that is your life, your future. What will you do with the life God gives you? Uh, and with that, let's go to Proverbs chapter 24 and start in verse 30. I want you to have pencil and paper handy. I want you to keep your Bible open because I'm going to bounce around inside the book of Proverbs quite a bit today. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. I love this little parable, word picture, whatever it is. It's gorgeous. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. Let's read together. I walked by the field of a lazy person 
the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles, it was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then, as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. The proverb that I've just read, it, it depends upon uh, sort of the ancient world and what they knew and had. And, and what they knew was that if you had a vineyard, if you had a parcel of land that was capable of producing good crops, if you had land that could be a vineyard, you had the opportunity of a lifetime. Not everybody gets that in the ancient world, not everybody had that, but this person has this opportunity for wealth, this opportunity to be set for life. They have a vineyard, they have a parcel of land that is good and it's a gift. The problem of course is they're not doing anything with it. That, that, that's why we say they're a lazy person. The lazy person has this land that's good, but it's overgrown with weeds, the wall's broken down. This person is not being a good steward of the gift that they've received. You understand that? So let's take it one step further here and, and try to get you to understand what this means for your life. You must not fail to comprehend that this is your one and only chance at life. When you read Proverbs chapter 24, understand you've been given a vineyard, so to speak. It's your life. You have been given this opportunity of a lifetime and what you have to understand is this is the one and only chance at life you get. This is it. This is your life. When you're young, you feel like life's gonna start probably when you turn 12, after you're 12, or maybe after you turn 16 and can drive, or maybe after you get out of high school, at 18, life begins after you get out of high school, or maybe once you find out which one to major in in college, and after you graduate from college, that's when life starts, or maybe you think maybe life starts after you get married, or maybe life starts after you're married and you have kids, or maybe life starts after you buy a house, or I mean, whatever. What are you talking about? This is your life. It's already started. It's in process. It's not going to start somewhere down the road. This is it. It goes by so fast. You don't understand it when you're young, but the older you get, the more you realize, my goodness, years fly by. This is your one and only chance at life. This is it. It's a gift from God, and you've been given this amazing opportunity, life. You have one physical body, that's it. The one you have, that's it. Love it, don't love it. You may never be a swimsuit model. You know that's not gonna matter, right? You may not look good in a Speedo. Guess what? Nobody does. Nobody does. That's not important. But this is the body that God has given you, the only body you'll ever have. That's why it matters that we've all spent three weeks just stuffing our bodies with sausage balls. That takes a toll. You know, today everybody's so tired. You had a good night's sleep last night, but you're tired. Why are you tired? Because for two weeks you've eaten nothing but candy canes and candy corn and candy and brownies, you know, and sausage balls and whatever else, you know. And your body's starting to say, please, you know, please. It's the only body you get. This is it. And the body you have is intended to allow you to live and serve God in the specific ways he's called you to live and serve him. It's the only body you get. You only get one mind. This is why you got to stop smoking weed, dude. You can't fry the only brain you have. 
It's the only brain you're ever going to get. You lose brain cells because you're too dumb to stop drinking. You know, it's the only brain you get. You don't make new brain cells. You understand this? You just only get one shot at life, one body, one mind, one set of relationships. I mean, the people in your life, you have them and you don't know when they're going to be gone. I mean, you get one shot at all of these things. You get one, you know, financial resources that come your way in your lifetime. Thousands of dollars are going to pass through your hands. You understand that? This is your one and only shot at life. And most of us fail to comprehend that. We just live without any sort of intentionality. We don't set any goals. We don't try to grow. So uh, the proverb begins, I walk by the field of a lazy person. Now, we don't see the lazy person. The lazy person's not standing out there in front of the field with a sign around her neck that says lazy person. You know they're lazy because you look at that which is entrusted for them to care for and it's not cared for. And that's how you know they're lazy. Now, can I tell you a secret? Lazy people don't ever think they're lazy. You know that, right? Like lazy people don't ever see themselves as lazy. There might be lazy people in this room even. But you don't think you're lazy? Nobody who's lazy thinks they're lazy. In the passage, it's a lazy person, but this person doesn't think they're lazy. All they say is, I'm gonna sleep a little bit longer. I'm gonna sleep in. I need a little bit of, you know, a little bit of me time, self-care, a little more sleep, a little more slumber. I'm just gonna rest a while. The problem is they're resting before they ever worked. And resting before you work is the very definition of lazy. You work and then you rest, but this person isn't working. You see? It's, it's, it's laziness, but they don't see themselves as lazy. They just tell themselves they'll do it all later. I'll do it later. I'm gonna sleep now. I'll wake up and I'll do it later. But the problem is later doesn't come. This is the only day you know you've got. This present moment is it. What are you gonna do with the gift of your life? You see, as I say, most of you in this room, you're gonna say, Pastor Tim, I'm not lazy. I'm actually a very busy person. You know, that's the strangest thing. Busy people can be lazy. Sometimes busy people can be the laziest people of all. Here's the thing. Your life, I know you don't see yourself as lazy. I get that. But please understand, your life most likely still suffers in ways from what I would call selective neglect. What is selective neglect? It means you don't neglect every part of your life. You just neglect certain parts of your life. You're not lazy in everything, but you're lazy in some things. And the problem is many of us are lazy in all the most important places of our life. Uh, we suffer from selective neglect. So I'll give you an example. You say you got a husband and he wakes up on a Saturday morning and he comes stumbling out of the bedroom with his Crocs on and his gym shorts and, and he sits down to get his coffee, whatever. And the wife says, hey, honey, you know, it's, it's Saturday. Why don't you go out in the backyard and kick the soccer ball with your daughter? And what's the man say? The man says, oh, honey, you know, I've worked really hard this week. I'm worn out. I don't have the energy for that. It's Saturday. I just need to rest today. I'm probably just going to, you know, kick back. I'm going to watch the game. You know, I just don't really have the energy for that. And then what happened? His buddy calls him 10 minutes later and says, you want to go play golf? And it's a miracle. You know, all of the sudden, man, he's putting on his little tight golf pants and he's putting his golf clubs in the back of the car and he is gone for the day. 
All of a sudden, this amazing, miraculous revival of energy, where did that come from? Well, it was never an energy problem. It wasn't an exhaustion problem, you understand? It was just that he was selective about where he applied his energy and his priorities were probably a little mixed up. Understand what I'm saying? It's selective neglect. You're not lazy in everything, but you're lazy in some things and you need to be very, very careful where you expend your energy and where you don't. Your, your life suffers from selective neglect. If you don't invest attention and energy into your life, it will all crumble and ruin. You had science class, right? In high school, you probably learned the law of entropy. What is that? Law of entropy just says everything in the universe, it deteriorates, it, it breaks down. If you leave it alone, it's gonna fall apart. That's how it is. You could have a house on your street that stood there for generations, but as soon as everybody moves off and leaves the house empty, it falls in. It's the strangest thing, but it will just fall in. And your life is the same way. A good life doesn't happen by accident. A happy marriage doesn't make itself. Kids don't raise themselves. Your iPad screen can't raise your son. It takes intention, it takes attention, it takes energy. If, if not, it's all gonna just come apart. Some of you right now are living that. The most important gifts God has given you are growing up with weeds, the walls are crumbling, it's, it's all going to ruin. You're gonna die before you're dead. I'm just saying, your life itself is going to go to ruin and, and you're still here. That's why I'm saying, we need to consider our stewardship of the future. It's New Year's Eve, right? And so if it's New Year's Eve, we got a new year coming. And I'm not saying that you only do this at New Year's, but hey, it's a pretty good opportunity to think about the year that's coming, to think about your future. You got pencil and paper in front of you? Let's talk about some New Year's resolutions. Let's talk about some, some goal setting. Some of you are saying, Pastor Tim, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I, I've done those before, but I don't ever keep them. <laughs> You know, that's what you're saying, right? I'm not going to keep it. I can put on there, I'm going to lose weight, but by Monday, I'll be eating mayonnaise out of the jar. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to even pretend. Okay, but, but understand, there's something very basic about goal setting, resolution making, and I'm not saying just at New Year's, but it's New Year's, let's, let's go there. There's something very basic about setting goals for a believer. So please, the Christian life is about transformation. This is ingredient to the Christian life. The Christian life is always about change. You changing, me changing. The, the goal, of course, is that I'm gonna be transformed by the Holy Spirit to become exactly like Christ. I'm gonna be holy as he is holy, and I got a long way to go. That's what this life is for. Sanctification, the transformation of, of everything about me so that I am just like the Lord. But that's gonna take some time and it's gonna take a whole lot of transformation. That's why you and I have to always be pressing on. Isn't that what Paul says? He says, I press on to take hold of all the things that God has for me. You gotta press on. It's gonna take some intentionality. It's gonna take some energy. You're gonna have to get after it. Your Christian life is about transformation. That means if you're a believer, you gotta always be learning. Always learning. I promise you, binge watching an entire season of Gilmore Girls is not learning. It's not. 
You're wasting your life, you're wasting your brain. You gotta be growing and learning. You gotta be changing because if you're not, you cannot be in God's will. You cannot be following God's purpose for your life if you're not growing, if you're not learning, if you're not changing. That's why you and I have to always be setting goals because our entire life is about change. It's about transformation and goals will keep us focused. Goals will keep us moving toward Christ. It's about transformation. The Christian life is also about hope and possibility. See, this is what you're lacking when you say, yeah, you know, I set resolutions, I don't keep them. You know, what you're saying is I can't change. I'm not gonna change. And when you say that, understand, that is a direct contradiction of the gospel. That's not something a Christian should ever say. I can't change, I'm not gonna change. You see, as a Christian, you're always about change and hope and possibility. Um, because we serve a God for whom everything is possible. There's nothing he can't do. And so if his power is at work at me, then, then I can do anything he wants me to do. Understand, everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with God. And if God is the one who holds tomorrow, get this, impossibly marvelous things may happen. God is the one who holds your tomorrow. Impossibly marvelous things can happen. I know. You're thinking, impossibly marvelous things do not happen to me. Maybe other people. You know, people on the price is right or whatever. Impossibly marvelous things happen to them, but not, not to me. Again, I remind you, you're a Christian. You can't say that. You, you can't say that. Everything is possible with God. And if God is the one who holds your tomorrow, then impossibly marvelous things may happen. Turn to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. I just turned one page and I'm there. Proverbs 27, 1. Proverbs 27, 1 says, don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. You probably should underline, memorize that verse. Don't brag about, don't boast about tomorrow. What's that mean? Boast about tomorrow. That's like you and me saying, man, tomorrow, you know, whatever. I mean, this year's gonna be my year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and that, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get myself out of debt. I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna look good in a two-piece bathing suit when I go to the beach in July. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna graduate from college, I, you know, on and on and on. Um, I'm not saying those things are bad. The problem is when I talk like that, I, I am lacking the humility that reminds me that I don't know what's gonna happen. Like I can say tomorrow I'm gonna do such and such, but I don't even know that I will live through today. You know what I'm saying? And so there's just this humility that comes with recognizing that you don't know nothing. You don't know anything. You don't know that you'll make it home from this service. You don't. In the last four weeks, I preached two funerals of men, adult men and not old men, men about my age, who sat in church on Sunday and were dead by Thursday. So don't you sit there and tell me that you think you're gonna do something tomorrow. You don't know, and Proverbs 27 reminds you that you don't know anything. So how are you supposed to make goals? How are you supposed to plan? How are we supposed to make resolutions? We don't even know if we're gonna have a new year. Well, easy. You're gonna start with prayer. You're gonna start with prayer. I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but God does. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold, but I know who holds tomorrow, right? 
I know, I know that God meets me in the future. God calls me into the future and he's already there. And so for me, the idea of, of being a steward of my future, it's gotta start in a conversation with the God who holds my future. I need to know what he sees from where he sits because I'm never gonna sit where he sits. You understand what I'm saying? I, I need a conversation with, with, with God. Understand, uh, actually, go to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. I love this. Proverbs 19, 21 says this, 19, 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You can make many plans, and that's what you were saying. You said, I've made resolutions before. You know, I don't ever stick with them. I'm telling you, you can make many plans. The Lord's purpose will prevail. So this is why it's important to start with prayer because prayer aligns your plans with God's purpose. God's purpose cannot fail. So when your plans are in line with what God is gonna do, understand you are not gonna be disappointed. Your life is not gonna fizzle or flop. When your plans are in line with God's purposes, God's purposes will prevail. Does that make sense? You understand that? That's why in prayer, it's this combination of praying and dreaming I'm asking you to do. We're in God's presence and in conversation with the God who made you and knows you and everything else. In conversation with God, you just, you dream and you allow yourself to dream big dreams and set big goals. You should set some crazy goals. I'm serious. I mean, not crazy, crazy, but yeah, crazy, crazy. I'm just saying you should set goals so big that if God doesn't show up and do his thing, you'll never get there. I mean, if you can do it by yourself, you don't need God, and it's probably not a worthy goal. You need to set a goal that will require God's intervention, will make you run straight to him and depend upon him. That's the kind of goals you want for your life. The kind of goal that if you set it out loud to other people, they would laugh at you. It was like 2000. Seven, something like that, 2013, I forget exactly where it was. When I first said the words 2020 vision, we talked about being a church planting church. I said, we're gonna plant 20 churches around the world by the year 2020. And that sounded crazy. It sounded crazy when I said it. We're church in a cornfield and none of us is a church planter and none of us even knew what church planting was, but, but it sure felt like God was putting that in us. And, and it sounded crazy till God did it. By 2020, we had like 23 churches that we'd help plant. I mean, you know, praise God. Who saw that coming? I didn't. It sounds crazy until God does it. That's the kind of goals you want. You're looking at your piece of paper, right? You want to put some God-sized goals on that piece of paper. You need to think big because he's a big God. If you're not thinking big, if you're not you know, you know, pushing toward God-sized goals, what are you doing with your life? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know you've made New Year's resolutions before and you've, you didn't do it. Well, I think that's why starting with prayer is so important. Lots of times we just make selfish goals. You know, like goals, you know, for ourselves, you know, I'm gonna whatever, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose weight, you know, look good in a bathing suit kind of thing. I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a swimsuit model at 58, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, um, it's probably better if I don't reach that goal. 
Well, you didn't have to say it like that. I mean, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what I mean, though? Selfish goals probably aren't going to be God's best for us anyway, you know? You, you've always set goals for yourself, but have you ever just prayerfully dreamed and prayed and asked God what his plan is for your life and what he's put in you and what he wants to do in you and through you and around you? Um, prayer aligns your plans with God's purposes in the most important and, uh, and, and beautiful way. Turn to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, and I'm about to ruin your day. I'm sorry, but I'm about to ruin your day. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. You, you've wondered perhaps why sometimes you have set goals or made resolutions and you didn't, your New Year's resolution didn't make it to the second week in January, you know? Um, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5 has a couple of four letter words. I know we have children in the room. Can I say the four letter words that are here in the Bible? Is that okay with everybody? Uh, Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, good planning and two four-letter words in a row. What are they? Hard work. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Hard work. You need to just expect that growth and change are going to require hard work out of you. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to depend upon the Lord. If you could change yourself, you would already have changed yourself. It's not in you. You need the Lord. You need the Spirit's power. You need the Spirit's wisdom. Expect it to be hard. The Word says planning and hard work. It's going to require your participation. It's going to re require your energy. It's going to require you to, to keep at it when you want to quit. I mean, this is what life is. There are no hasty shortcuts to what God wants for you. Hard work is the path to getting there. It's not probably going to fall out of the sky into your lap. You're going to have to hustle. I mean, it's what the Bible says, hard work. Hasty shortcuts lead to poverty, man. The reason you and I fail is we're always looking for a hasty shortcut. You wanna lose weight, but you look for a diet that'll let you eat mayonnaise out of the jar with a spoon. And so you, you find online the Duke's mayonnaise diet where you can just eat jars and jars of mayonnaise and, and you're happy until that stuff starts running through you like poop through a goose and all of a sudden you, you realize... There are no hasty shortcuts to, to your goal. It's hard work. It's always going to look like hard work. God's will for your life often shows up looking a whole lot like a really hard job. Expect that. Expect it. Change is hard. None of us like change. None of us change usually until the pain of staying the same you know, seems worse than the pain of change. I mean, we don't change for nothing, but I'm telling you our Christian life is all about growth and change. One more, and then I want us to do something else. Chapter 15, verse 22. This is where it gets fun again. 15, verse 22. says, plans may go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. I would just say include others. You're going to make some resolutions. You're going to set some goals. I hope you do it this week. Uh, if you're married uh, or engaged, uh, I pray that you would get with that partner and, uh, and, and, and talk together, in, include others in it, you know? The, the, the word says plans go wrong for lack of advice. You know, so often we just make our own plans or set our own goals and we don't talk to anybody. It's just coming out of our head, but you don't know everything and other people can see what you can't see, even about yourself. And so let people speak into your life. 
If you're married, I encourage you, man, in the, next, in the next week, why don't you set a date night or take next Saturday and just go off together and, 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 and be very serious about the, the kind of family, the kind of marriage you want together and set some goals as a couple. Include other people. A couple of months ago, Casey and I, it's my wife, Casey and I took our son, Wade, and his wife, Marty, to Mellow Mushroom, you know, which is my second home. And uh, we're sitting at the table and we planned this conversation. Casey and I just wanted to ask them, and we asked our adult son and his wife, we just asked them, what kind of goals do you think we should set for our, I'm talking about me and Casey. What, how would you think that we should grow? How would you like to see us grow? What kind of goals should we be setting? We're asking my son, our adult son and, and his wife, you know, what kind of goals should we consider? Would you, you know, recommend anything to us? I was a little offended. It was like they couldn't, like they've been waiting for that question. You know, I mean, it's coming off the top of their head. Like, I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's like, wow, okay, I, y'all went right for that. All right. Um, it was beautiful, actually. Our son and daughter-in-law did begin to speak into our lives. The thing was, they were recommending goals for me and Casey that honestly the Lord had already been saying, but we weren't listening to the Lord, you know? And the Lord just confirmed through, through our son and daughter-in-law. It's just really a beautiful thing. I'm just saying include other people, not just in the planning itself, but, but, but in your goals. I mean, uh, plan things with other people, but also things that you're going to do with other people. I mean, plan experiences for your family, uh, for our church, so that there are goals that we should share together. Because when you share goals, there's accountability, of course, but most importantly, there's celebration. I mean, when we finally get there, when we do what was so hard and we begin to receive the rewards for the hard work, that's glorious. And and I'm telling you, joy, celebration that is shared is doubled. Uh, You you just include others. Um, Real quickly, uh, as we close, keep your paper handy. I got 10 questions to get you started with your goal setting. I'm going to try not to take too long. I won't. Um, But let's start here. Number one, in what ways do you want to change? Start right there. Some of you are, are miserable in certain parts of your life and, and you know good and well where the changes need to happen. So let's just start there. How can you set a goal that'll get you out of the miserable place that you are in, in your job or, or, or the unhappiness that you feel in your marriage? I mean, in what ways do you want to change? If you really are the person that is not healthy and you know that you're not being a good steward of your body, how can you make some goals around your health? In what ways do you want to change? With that, I would ask, when do you struggle? When do you struggle? Why do you struggle? How do you struggle? I mean, all of those questions are the same. Uh, think about your struggles. You've been struggling. Some of you have had habits and hangups for years, and I'm just saying you can change. The Lord wants you to change, and he's got the power for you to change. You don't have to come back in December 2024 in the same lousy pit that you're in right now. I mean, it could be different this coming year, but you're going to have to do something different. When do you struggle? Very complicated problems and sometimes addictions and, and habits can have very simple solutions. I knew a guy that had a terrible pornography habit and he said, you know, I'm telling you, you know, Pastor Tim, it, it, it's always after my wife goes to bed. My wife goes to bed and then I stay up and that's when I look at porn. Well, you, you know what the answer to that is? Like when your wife goes to bed, why don't you go to bed with an actual woman? 
I mean, you know, like go to bed with an actual woman and you know how magically the, the porn problem disappears? You know, I'm saying really complicated problems have really simple solutions. You just gotta think and be intentional and be willing to change. When do you struggle? Let's do a sort of an assessment. Let's pretend I'm your doctor and let's walk through a little bit of diagnostics here. Check in with your body. What's your body trying to tell you? Your body's telling you things. God wired our bodies in an amazing way and your body talks to you, you just don't listen. About 15 years ago, some of you knew me, I, I had a near total emotional mental breakdown. My first panic attack was in my office on a work day. Um, it was my body, anxiety is my body telling me, you can't keep living this way. You can't work this way, you're killing you. I mean, anxiety is what happens when I abuse myself, my body. I, I uh, have learned the hard way to listen to my body. Anxiety is my body's way of signaling to me that, that something's off, you know? Your depression, your anxiety, whatever, you're, you're always feeling tired. Pay attention to your body. What's it trying to tell you? Check in with your mind. What lies are you believing? That's just a question I could throw out. Check in with your mind. What is it you're pretending not to know? Like some of you, you got a teenage daughter that's having sex with her high school boyfriend and you just act like that's not happening. In your house, you act like you don't know that's happening because you don't want to deal with that. I'm just saying that that's not healthy. What is it you're pretending not to know? Check in with your mind. What lies are you believing? What is it you're acting like you know, ain't real when it's real? Check in with your soul. Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? That sounds like a Sunday school question, but... Um, the fruit of the Spirit are nine qualities of, of relationship that the Holy Spirit bears when he has control of your life. And they are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So you can do a little checkup on all those things, love, joy. Start with joy. Do you have joy? Some of you are the most miserable people on earth. Some of you dads, when you come home, you suck the fun out of everything. Like the whole family is different when you walk in because now everybody's on eggshells because they don't know what kind of mood dad's gonna be. And you understand, dude, that is a bad sign for your soul that you don't have joy. I'm, I'm just talking to dads here. Man, you walk in the room, dad, the, the joy of the Lord should so overflow from your heart that, that your family lights up like a Christmas tree when you get home. I'm not making that up. That joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not in you, we've noticed, but the Holy Spirit could fix that. Check in with your soul. Patience. Man, some of us, man, our fuse is so short, man. I mean, we just get angry. We lose our cool. You know, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. The fact that you lack patience, that's a bad sign. You know, check in with your soul. Uh, just a couple more. What needs to change with the way you handle money? It's not a money sermon, but like I say, money's a great window into your, into your spiritual life. I, I, you know, the Amazon driver shouldn't turn in your driveway every time he comes down your road. I mean, I mean, what is it that you think? What is it? Because here's the thing. You're buying dumb stuff online because you, you know you lack something and you're trying to find what it is that you lack, but you're not willing to admit that it's not for sale on Amazon or any place else. You, you gotta deal with real stuff and, and your spending is often a, a very clear indi indicator of, of uh, the desire to fill a hunger that uh, money can never satisfy. 
Uh, what needs to change about the way you handle money? What's God been saying to you? Uh, like I said, when Casey and I talked to our son, he just confirmed what God had already been saying to us. What's God saying to you? You know, pay attention to that. I, I mean, start there. What's God saying to you? I mean, right now, you know, maybe you're a dude living with your girlfriend and y'all aren't married. Now you're talking about getting married. You know, you know, that's wrong, right? I mean, God's been saying that to you. I, I mean, you know, dude, get out. If you're not willing to marry her, get out. You know, well, financial reasons. We live together for financial reasons. Well, but God is telling you no. So there's no financial reason that will justify your disobedience. And if you want God's blessings in your life, you've got to walk in the path that God has for you. You don't just get to do your own thing. Well, what's God been saying to you? Some of you know good and well that you're in a job right now and, and that's not the job. You know you're in the wrong place. God wants you to go and, 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 and start over and, and you're not willing to do that. I'm just saying, what's God been saying to you? Why don't you make this a year of obedience? Whatever God says, you do that and see how different your life looks. Um, I like this one. We, we do this question as a staff here at church. What would you like to be able to do in 12 months that you can't do now? Great question. Um, you might say, I wanna be able to share my faith at school. I would like to be able to have spiritual conversations with my own children. I would like to be able to go on a mission trip. I would like to be able to memorize scripture. I, what I love is, again, I told you we, we talk like this in staff. About two years ago in a one-on-one -on -one with Rod, Rod said, I would like to be able to lead worship from the piano. Rod wasn't a piano player. And at that point, that's something he could not do, but it's something he wanted to be able to do. I just love the fact that he did that today, y'all. I mean, I mean, that's how growth happens. That's how change happens. He didn't just wake up, you know, having learned to play the piano in his sleep. No, it, you had to go after that. You see, you're gonna have to go after some things. What do you want your family to look like? That's just a great question, I think. What do you want your family to look like? This is from Andy Stanley. It's one of the, I think, just simply brilliant things I've ever heard about family life. This is what Andy Stanley says. Create a family that wants to be together when nobody has to be together. Create a family that wants to be together when nobody has to be together. Y'all understand what that means? Those of you with little children right now, they're hostages, let's be honest. They ain't going nowhere. They, they can't survive without you. They are there in your house and you get used to that. But one of these days, little Precious is gonna get in his car and drive off and he only has to come back if he wants to be with you. And there's a whole lot of people out there wishing their kids would come see him, but the kids are not wanting to be with him. Now, I think you want a family that wants to be with you and they don't have to be with you. But your only opportunity to create that is now, now. If you don't do that while you got the kids at home, it's gonna be really hard. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's gonna be really hard to make that family that wants to be together after nobody's together anymore. It's gonna be a whole lot harder. So I'm just saying, if you got kids at home right now, this is your goal. You want your kids to want to be with you after they don't have to be with you. I mean, I would go so far as to say this. You want, mom and dad, you want to be so much fun. You want to be so much fun that your teenage son won't make Friday night plans till he finds out what y'all are doing. You know what I'm saying? Because it could be mom and dad are planning something better than he's planning with his friends. He might rather be with you. You understand? This is how that works. 
But you only have a very short opportunity to create that family. And I'm telling you, time's slipping away. You don't want to be that mama wishing her kids would come home, but they just don't want to be home. You only have a chance right now to create that family. What goals, what do you need to do differently? Because I'm telling you, they're growing up really fast. They're going to be out of your house and you're going to wish they'd come see you. You know what I'm saying? Um, last one. We want people to say it's your funeral. Pastor Tim, that, you know, that's gloomy. me. Why, why, why are you bringing us down? I'm bringing you down because I said, I've last four weeks preached two funerals where men my age or younger sat in this house on church on Sunday and didn't know I'd preach their funeral on Thursday. I mean, what are you thinking? I have to remind you, you don't know nothing about tomorrow. You don't know if you'll have tomorrow. What are people going to say about you? I have people say, Pastor Tim, you just, you just say whatever you want to say about mama. You knew her better than all of us. Okay, if that's true, that's really sad. I only see you people on Sunday. I only see you when you're dressed up. Some of you, I only see you when you're asleep. I mean, you know, I see you on your best behavior. I see you one day out of the week. How can I possibly know you better than your children, than your spouse? When somebody says, oh, you knew her better than, than, than anybody, well, I, I doubt that that's true. But I imagine sometimes what they're saying is, we don't have anything to say about her. We don't have anything good to say. I used to think naively when I started out in ministry that if you're preaching an old lady's funeral, you could always say, she was a good mom. I found out you can't say that. She looked like a good mom to me on Sunday morning, but this is what I'm telling you. I don't live with her. You can always look like something on a Sunday morning, but uh, those who know you best and love you most, I mean, what are they going to say about you one day? Do you ever think about that? I mean, it's just your life. And you have no idea how quickly it's going by. You have no idea. 2023 is over. 2024 is beginning. I don't know where a year goes. But I do know that every day, every week, every month, every minute is a gift from God. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. It's all you get, this life, this moment, this new year. You've been given an amazing gift, your life, your future. What are you going to do with it? 